Hey everyone, welcome back to the Athlete CEO Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric and Brandon Averill, the co-founders of AWM Capital, where we partner with our clients to unlock the full potential of their wealth for maximum impact. And what we believe at AWM is that the greatest driver of your net worth is your human capital. It's your own skill set and ability to earn money in the future that is going to be that greatest driver of your net worth. And so this podcast, the Athlete CEO podcast, is all about bringing you the knowledge, skills, and access to the world-class experts that is going to help you unlock your full potential. And so today we have an absolute treat um, of a guest for everybody to learn from. He has known or been quoted by uh, Kevin Love as the Swiss Army knife when it comes to optimizing your health and your performance. And so today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Fabrice Gauthier, who is a licensed physical therapist and osteopath with over 20 years of experience. And so Fabrice has worked with just incredible legions of athletes across many different sports, but names like uh, Rudy Gobert, Giancarlo Stanton, Kevin Love, Carmelo Anthony, Tony Parker. And uh, what he will make sure everybody knows is he also serves as uh, the French nas uh, national basketball team's osteopath since 2009. And uh, so Fabrice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be there. Fabrice, uh, we have had the privilege so many times to sit down with uh, experts in the athletes circle when it comes to their health and their performance. And a lot of times what we see is there's this, this segmentation um, or really this approach of like, I'm here to solve a specific uh, need or condition or an injury, but you have this quote on your website that I just love. And I want to hear more about um, your approach, but, but the quote says, I see people, not a patient with a condition or a need, it's a process of constant exchange and learning of body, mind, and soul. Can you talk a little bit about that approach? Yes. Um, I mean, it, it definitely comes from my uh, osteopathic, uh, European osteopathic uh, um, diploma and studies where you, a lot of the time people ask me the difference between chiropractic and, and osteopath, osteopathy. And one of the main things is, is that globality of the body. The body is a unit. And you cannot dissociate uh, the emotion from the physical pain and the physical pain from the emotional pain. You cannot dissociate um, the mechanical aspect and the visceral aspect or the fascial aspect. And then when I say fascia, it's tendons, uh, it's ligaments, it's muscle, it's capsulae. It's all the different structure that makes a body, water, uh, all, all of this. It, it's not, I always say it's not just, it's not so simple. It's not just one thing. People ask me, what's my problem? Why do I hurt my knee? And to give, just to use that knee as an example, a lot of time I have people coming with a knee issue and the knee is kind of being locked up between an ankle issue and a sacroiliac issue or something else. Everyone is very different. And through that process, through that studying over six years and through the experience of trying to fix people, to try to help people, 
you go through some moments where you think, oh, it's his lower back. And then you realize there's a tension on his psoas, of course, but it's not so much the psoas, the problem. When you ask the guy or the person, we, does he, is he stressed right now? No, no, everything's fine. And then you ask the question again, it's like, well, yeah, kind of, I'm kind of almost going through a divorce. And you have your hands in, into the fascia, into the muscle. And suddenly as the guy starts talking, the fascia release. So you're like, and that mm. kind of so of humbles you because you think you can fix anything, but you didn't do anything. You just asked the right question. So here you go. I mean, that's, I hope that gives you a, a little tour of, of how I see the treatments that I do with my patients. And for example, I have like patient that comes with an ACL. I always kind of tell them first, you're going to use that time to not just rebuild your knee, you're going to rebuild you like as a whole, as a unit, you know, uh, you're going to use that time to make sure every single compartment of the, I always use the formula one image. You're going to make sure every single bolt is tied up and, and everything moves. Right. Super, uh, fascinating and, and helpful. Um, I've got to imagine you've built this reputation of having players come to you in some of the most vulnerable parts of their careers. They rupture their Achilles. Um, they, they think, you know, inevitably in the NBA, I'd read some of your research that it says players typically only last two years after that type of injury, they might be out some of this amazing time, you know, how do athletes and individuals respond when they think they're coming in to get a quick fix and you start to go down this process of treating the person holistically? That's a great question. Um, the main thing it's for them, there is, there's a transfer of energy when you start putting your hands on someone. So because that's one aspect that we do, that's a little bit different from Europe. Uh, the way we study physical therapy, for example, um, we study massage for a full year. So there is that connection of the hand on the body, where in the US it's phys physical therapies, it's a lot of modalities. It's a little bit more modalities than your hand. You're, you're a little bit less hands-on. And again, I'm not trying to compare. You have some amazing physical therapies that are very hands-on in the States and some physical therapies in, the, in Europe who just use modalities. But that first contact, your hands on the body, and I would even say, because they always ask me, why did you put your hand right there when I didn't even tell you? The first thing is also the observation, taking the time to observe the patient coming into your office, coming into your room, not knowing that you're watching. Hmm. So it gives, you, it gives you a lot of information. It's like a, a little police investigation that you do, and you look first, then you ask question, and then you put your hands on it. So that process makes kind of them feel, I, I get, I get the, the thing a lot to say, oh, you, you're a magician, you're a magician. No, I'm not. I'm really just like, I just learned how to read correctly the sign that you're showing me of your body, uh, your posture, your attitude. And so when you go through all of that within like a quick three, four, five minutes, not even, and then you go straight to the cause of the problem, not the consequence, the cause, and that you start proving them by the results, 
which is another thing that I always say is that at the end of the day, you have more than one method to, to go from A to Z. But what's important at the end is the result. How many games did you play this season? Did you play 82 games, 81 games? And I'm, I'm using the NBA because that's, that's where I'm more familiar. Or did you play 25 games? Why did you do wrong during the off season or where you were done with your season that you think led, led to this? Who did you listen that you think led to this? Uh, what you didn't do? All of those questions, they need to be asked. So there is a whole, and like you said in the introduction, I'm going to be straightforward. I'm at, I've been doing this since 96. So I'm at the point where I don't, I'm going to be straightforward with you. Like you, you missed 60 games. <laughs> I don't know what you did. I don't really, you know, but you did something that didn't work out. The results are not there. So there is that discussion that it's important part of the process. And there is what the patient of the athletes is going to feel. Like if you have a stuck hip, if your hip doesn't move, if your ankle doesn't move, especially for a basketball player, after the session, when you open it up, when it moves better, Trust me, they know. You don't even have to, to, to do advertisement or nothing. They know. Suddenly, it's moving again. Suddenly, they have range of motion again, and they feel better. And through the next few days of the first session, it's almost like if that body is going to entangle by itself. And they're going to start reappropriating themselves some new range of motion. So... It's a mix between that mobility and the stability of it. So, of course, you need to train, you need to lift weights, you need to get stronger. But the initial part when they come to my office, it's that little part, that transfer of energy and the result, fixing what's not moving. I think that's so interesting, Fabrice. And we're focused so much and rightfully so, because I bet most people come to you when, and we're all broken. What I guess it's mm -hmm. when you realize you're broken is when people <laughs> show up. But I'm curious, your perspective, and I think I have probably a pretty good hunch, but your perspective on when should somebody show up in your office? Should we wait until our ACL is <laughs> blown out? You know, again, that's a very, very good question. It's a very, um, it's very, uh, I can relate to what you're saying right now, because at first when I started, I was only seeing guys that were fully broken and I was seeing them at their, the, the mark was like 28, 29 years old. And I was seeing guys, I, my first kind of athlete here, WNBA patient, she had five ACL when I started with her, Jackie Jemelos. Mm. She was highly recruited by UConn. One, they thought at that time she was such a great player that they thought she would be the first woman to go in WNBA without going to college way back then. I mean, and she blew up her first ACL hand of her high school career. And she went to USC and blew up four more times both knees and that's mm. at first that was the type of patients that i was getting and little by little over the years like a rudy gobert i saw him when he was you know two three three years in the league and now i'm seeing them more preventively and we we I, we accompany right. them over their career and you know um i think the preventive approach is really the most important one and again, it's 
what we said in the introduction is being able to surround them with a knowledge and with a team around them because they have so much solicitation, so many people talking to their ears, so they feel confident all that team has their best interest at heart and they're not going to try to do something that they're not specialized at. I could give nutritional advice, mm. but I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a shrink. I'm not a strength and conditioning coach. I can plant the seed for the athletes to understand you're going to need to get stronger if you want to last. But I'm really a very, very spe specialized osteopath and physical therapist. So that's my range. I'm not going to try to do things that I don't, don't do, you know? So yeah, the preventive approach, yeah, no, I, uh, it's, it's really what should be. But basically, you encounter those new patients because they get injured. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's with, you can see it from the agents, the, the encounter with the agents. It's almost like, oh, I need you. He's, uh, he's in his contract here, you know, and uh, his knee, he hasn't been able to play for two years and, and I need you. And after you develop relationship and, and most of my clientele, it's always been word of mouth, pretty much. Uh, which I think mm -hmm. is the best type. Like I'd never really forced for anyone to come to see me. And uh, the few times I tried, it didn't work out. It has to be to work <laughs> organically, I think. Um, and so little by little, I get them much, 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 much younger, like 21 years old or rookies. And, and after the, the other aspect is for the athletes to be ready to hear and to listen to what you have to say, you know, and understand yeah. it. So it takes also some, some cleverness and some, some, uh, also the entourage is very important. The family, the parents, the friend, if you have friends that want to be in charge of everything, then it's recipe for disaster or family. Most of the time you see it a lot in tennis, like the dad coaching, uh, the little girl, and usually they don't really let go. Um, you see that. Yeah. There's uh, I want to sit on that point there for a second. There are a lot of athletes listening to this and, and this is our background, you know, personally, mm -hmm. when you come into your career, there are older adults, a lot of times, whether it's our family or agents or just coaches. And even though you're the athlete and we talk about and can make the comment, I'm, you know, I'm the boss it's this difficult thing at times, I think, to really evaluate who should be on your team and, and how to develop a skill set on how to manage even an entourage. Through your experience of when you've seen things go wrong and also gone right, like what is the role? How should an athlete handle who they're choosing to build out on their team, whether it's their health team, their agent, mm -hmm. evaluating their friends? I just love for you to talk a lot more about what you've learned over the years so um it's a it's a, another good one uh you have a lot of different example of i mean you can take lebron he took all his friends and everyone ripped him off at first say oh you're taking guys that have no experience they made their mistake and they build an empire all of them so you have that example that worked really well because there is a connection between them and a trust and you, you almost like, like, uh, um, 
like really like a family and, and they have values that values that carries that team that carried that team over over the time of course you get the big formula one which is lebron but they made their mistake but he didn't he didn't got rid of them they learned and they got better so you have that example of an assembly of friends that had no maybe that had, but maybe they had skill and they had will and and they were loyal so that's one aspect you're gonna have um athletes that's going to go with the people that were with them at the beginning of their career. And maybe at some point, even so you love them and you owe them, maybe they become limited a little bit, or maybe they want to do too much. Like I said. Um, so for, for me, it's very hard to answer that question because I think it's a case by case. I would say if my advice would be to an athlete, also what I see a lot of time is they are not trusting their instinct. They are not trusting their guts. And uh, on the health aspect, you're a professional athlete. You've been a professional athlete pretty much all your, I mean, an athlete all your life. You've been dealing with your body and what you feel in your body. So, you know, if you trust your instinct, if you trust your guts, you're going to know, again, we go back to the feeling of, of feeling healthy or not healthy. Does that workout make you feel stronger or does that kill you? Do you feel like you're getting stronger for, from that guy or do you think like you're getting exhausted, you know, because he wants to show so much. He wants to, to burn you out, but he's by doing so, he's not focusing on the recovery aspect. So at some point, I always tell also the, the athletes to trust their instinct because even so I'm a I'm a, I'm a decent professional with what I do. The, the, the highest level of play that I had was division two rugby in France, which is not too bad, but it's not like professional playing in the NBA, playing in the Olympics, playing uh, on the center court of the US Open. It's even so I can understand, it's hard for me to tell you exactly what, because I've never been there. So that's another thing I tell the athletes when a physical therapist comes to you, listen, because he might have some good um, insights for you, but also trust your guts. Also trust what you think. If you don't feel it's right, don't go through it. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, you we go back to what I said earlier, is the results. Check the results. If you're going to go buy your house, you're going to check a broker. You're going to check how many houses did he sell or, you know, like you check the records. And, and that's important. And, and at the end also, I think that's a very underestimated uh, parameter is the personality of the person. My personality doesn't fit with everyone. And I had athletes that came in, we had the session, but there was nothing. There was no connection. It's all right. You know, you cannot, I don't need to treat 450 NBA players. I'm happy with <laughs> the one I have. And like I said earlier, there's more than one way to go from A to B. There's different strength codes, different physical therapists. But at the end of the day, how many games did you play? You know? I think it's a great analogy too. Like we talk about this quite a bit uh, with our clients, but bi building a business and, and relating it back to the athlete, right? Like at the end of the day, in your example of LeBron, he found a, a supporting cast that is about making that empire great, whether it's LeBron on the court or what they're building. I feel like that's a lot of times where it goes, 
you know, the motivations of people are what need to be evaluated, right? Are What are they truly in it for? And that's a good lens to go through. But if you're thinking about building something up, right, you're always going to want to surround yourself with people who are going to be additive. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of hearing this uh, from you and it might not be the same people. It might be the people that you started with. I mean, they're, every company is different. You may have a startup CEO and there comes mm-hmm. a life cycle where that's no longer a fit. You got to switch. Yeah. And so, you know, I do think that that's, that's a really good point too, but it all goes back to having a plan, right? And I think yeah. that's, and, that's what you go to. And I also believe really, and it, it, it goes from my experience with my kids, actually, oh. where if you build good principle and good values, uh, it works also for a business that you start. Uh, I think there's a book, it's Ray Dalio principles principle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you, if you start with that too, and doesn't need to be complicated. Like again, if, if we, if you start with loyalty, uh, truth and hardworking, (laughs) that's a really good place to start. And also again, what, what I was saying, know your place, know your position. You know, in, in, in LeBron's team, Rich Paul is doing something. Maverick Carter is doing something. They, they have their role and stay into your role and enjoy the, enjoy the, the, the journey. You know, it's, it's, I always use that example, that image of the formula one, um, where when you see them in the paddock, they have 15 different engineers. Mm. So if you get the guys that are in charge of the balls of the wheels, and you put him on, on the on the gas, you're going to be in trouble, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I love that. I love that analogy. Uh, I uh, uh, truthfully had no idea what Formula One really was or the intensity of it, uh, A, being an American kid, but then thanks to Netflix, right? A lot of things, you start yeah. to watch these documentaries and you go, Oh my goodness, you want to talk about one of the most intense sports yeah. in the precision and expertise that it requires, and to your point, an absolute teamwork. And it's also uh, very truth telling, right? Um, and there's mm-hmm. a lot at stake. If we operated all of our lives in this way, uh, we talk a lot about you've put the work in to be the best in the world at what you do. It's not easy to play on the court, right? To be on the field. Um, you should expect that of the people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. And so a large part of just even being able to say, what are the results that I expect of the people in the positions that I've put them in? And then it becomes even easier to say, well, that person's completely out of their lane. I know they don't have the skill set to get me to what that desired result is. And then having the, uh, I would say the gumption or, or uh, the maturity as the athlete to realize you can put them back in their lane. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that's just one of the things to, to be able to see. Um, I'd be interested to hear, I know there's not a one size fits all, as you said, each person comes in, at a different uh, point in their life. But if in sports, we know part of it is, is to stay healthy as long as possible, right? We know that load management uh, and longevity of careers equal bank accounts that are bigger. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to the 21 year old kid who's just starting the journey and he asks you, how do I build out 
at least that core group around me when it comes to keeping me healthy for as long as possible. What is the advice of how to build the blueprint the right way from the beginning? I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's so much different from one kid to the other, but, uh, but for the blueprint, um, there's work and there's recovery. And in, in work, I have a good, great friend who's a nutritionist who always say, you don't build muscle in the gym. You build muscle in the kitchen and in the bedroom. So those two parts, sleep, mental health, nutrition, super important. And then as you want to be, you are professional athletes, you want to perform at the highest level. So you need to work out. Within those workouts, you need to surround yourself with a strength coach that understands that you're going to make the body more robust if you load. Um, if you load the body, if you start putting the body under stress, sufficient stress, but not too much stress. So that strength and conditioning coach needs to have an understanding of that and an understanding of periodization. You're not going to do the same workouts when you come back from vacation that you're going to do during the season. But you still need to work out, I believe. Most of the guys that I see playing those, those full seasons, they lift. For a little while, we went away from the lifting. We went to the bands. We went to the correctives. We went to, and I'm a physical therapist. I do those, but they're warm-ups. They're, they're there to prepare you to do more. Um, I'm a big believer in Olympic weightlifting if it's well taught. And usually as a young age, when you come out from college, you're going to have one, two, or three summers to learn those moves, to learn those techniques. So you're going to be more powerful and more explosive, which in our sport, basketball, or any, any sport, if you're explosive and powerful, that's, that's a nice recipe to be successful. Um, and then when you get powerful, strong, you, you name it, you also have to be able to control it. So from what I see, I, I see a, la a big lack of proprioception a big lack of, I would call it proprioceptive challenge. You see guys worrying on Eric's pad. There is a big, there is a big this debate into a world if because you play on a hard surface, you should not train on unstable surface. But I also believe having played basketball and rugby, that when that, that playing field, even so it's stable, when the game starts, it becomes a very unstable environment. So you need to train the athletes into that range, into the range where it's going to be playing. And after that comes the recovery. So how does he build a team from that aspect? A lot of the time we actually help them. We're like, okay, you're going to be in Charlotte. You're going to be in New York. We know of some guys there that you could work with. And you can also work within your team. You know, it's not always, there's a lot of good people all over the, the, the league. So you need to find a good balance between what you're going to get from your team and what you're going to assemble for you because you might not stay with that team. So you want to be sure you have some people around you that, are, that have your best interest at heart. It starts with the chef. I think that's probably... The, the chef and the strength and conditioning coach are probably the two most important person. And then after, you're going to find someone that's going to get you a regular massage. 
Um, I don't know where I saw it. I think I was talking with one of my athletes, or I heard it on TV. Someone was saying when he came into, it was a football player. He came into that league and there was a Hall of Famer player and they were in the hot tub together. And he's like, uh, how many, how many massages do you get a week? He's like, well, I get, yeah, I get massage. I get, I get two. How much are they? hundred dollars. He's like, yeah, 100. All right. Do me a favor. Get free a week. How much is it going to cost you over your career? And it was like, he made the math very quickly. It was like nothing. And, um, and at the end of the day, he stayed healthy, you know, and had a stellar career for, for long. He was a quarterback uh, who told me that, that story. So you got to invest. It's not a spending. You got to invest into your mm -hmm. body, into your health, because like you said at the beginning, that's what's going to keep you on the court. That's what's going to get you contract. And the longer you stay, if you look at a kid that came into the NBA eight years ago and what they make now, there's a big gap. And five years from now, there'll be a bigger gap, you know? So you got to invest. There's a lot of ways. You guys know that better than anyone else where you can build, you can create a corporation, you can write off things, you can write off equipment for your house. You can build yourself a compound. Even so, if you're a rookie, you can start with a, with a recovery boot. You can start with a cold bath. You can start the chef. You can start with food delivery uh, service. But a lot of the time when I see young kids, they, they're protective of their money, which is very important, but they don't necessarily see it as an investment. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. You're, you're, you're preaching why we started this podcast of mm -hmm. literally talking about their human capital because, yeah, you know, most financial people uh, are trying to uh, get you to put money into their portfolios and, and there's incentives and those things of why when we look at it, our jobs to help you grow your entire net worth, which you have the most control over your own career and you're in a job that produces very, very high salaries, right? The, the return mm -hmm. on investment of taking 10 grand and getting massages that turns into an extra 10 games on the court turns into millions of dollars, right? Or hundreds of yep. thousands of dollars. Like you literally cannot reproduce these returns. So this podcast, it's hopefully our clients, you know, hearing this and our athletes of understanding that we're the first ones that want you to, we actually see this as stewardship, as being fiscally responsible mm -hmm. by taking money that we know we can look and say there are results, there are returns on that investment. And so it's super helpful. I mean, it's, what's interesting to me is that you started with the chef of, of all the things. It wasn't even, Hey, you need an osteopath or no, a PT. Nah. It's a nah. chef. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always tell my, I call them my everyday athletes of life because I still consider everyone as an athlete. If you're going to sit at a desk for eight, 10 hours, you're an athlete to me uh, of every day. And um, I always tell them, I mean, when I'm done with you, when I'm done with my session, I'm going to see you five, six times a year. Of course, with athletes, it's a little bit different. Like a Rudy Gobert, I go there twice a week, you know, during the season. Um, but I don't need to be there full time. My job, and that's also going back to what we were saying, it's knowing your lane, knowing what you, 
you you can do. I mean, I I could be working full time for an athlete, but is he really gonna need me full time? No, doesn't. But a chef, hmm. yes. A strength and conditioning, yes, full time. A masseuse, after every game, after every game, you should have a full body massage for two hours, and get make sure that your body stay loose. You know, so it's really prioritizing what your spendings, understanding. Yeah, well, I'm not going to take Fabrice for uh, on a full-time basis, but I'm going to make sure he comes to see me every three weeks or every two weeks. And I'll fly him and he comes to me and I'll see him. And since we've been doing that for the last six, seven years with my athletes, knock on wood, they, weirdly enough, they've been, they've been staying pretty healthy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I, w- I was going to ask you, you know, as far as your type of approach, you had mentioned there are other obviously great professionals. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing more uh, more people take approaches like yours or would you still say yours is more uh, the rare exception to the rule of how you're approaching uh uh, really athlete lifestyle uh, consulting of, of what, mm-hmm. you know, you um, call it. No, it's a matter of experience and skill sets, I think. And, and I, there's plenty of amazing people. And usually those amazing people, they're, they're not insecure. They're okay with where they're at and they collaborate mm-hmm. together. Uh, one of my colleagues, his name is Barons Betos. He, he, he was with Kobe Bryant for 20 years and he was doing deep tissue work, you know, neuro, neuromuscular therapy. Uh, Kobe called him a genius when he did the Jimmy Kimmel show. He's very, he's not on social media, he's not anywhere, but most of the, ad, the really great athletes, they know of him because, because he was able to stay with Kobe Bryant for 20 years. So he's one of my best friends. Um, we share our patients. We share our patients with no problem because again, he's the specialist of the deep tissue work of the, and I'm a specialist more of the mechanical aspect of the body uh, and the rehab. Mm. So is there people working like me? I don't know. I mean, over the last 25 years, seeing 15 to 20 patients a day, if you're seeing athletes, seeing I have different skill set. I, I almost created my own, protocol of working with people so there's probably better people than me there's probably worse people than me uh again it has to be a match with your patient it has to be a match with your athlete uh is there you know you have warren buffett you have uh, all of the, i don't know the other guys but you have different but with which one do you actually connect and and do you do you have a great relationship of trust, which is super important over the years, because like we discussed before, if you don't see him when he's injured, if you see him at the beginning, when the injury occur, because you build that trust, you already, it's already half of the battle. You know, it's already won because the athlete trusts you, he's gonna listen to you, you're gonna direct him to the right surgeon or to the right professional to get that, that surgery done and you're gonna do the rehab or, or you're gonna bring us a, a, another consultant that knows what to do and you're going to work as a team and fix him and bring him back fast and bringing him back so he's ready to play. Not that he's going to be on minutes restriction for seven minutes. That's to me, it's ludicrous. Uh, why would you put someone on seven minutes? Where did that number comes from? You know, 
could be injured at six, he could be injured at 10. <laughs> of course, of course, you're not going to play in 48 minutes. But all those things, if you're going to bring back an athlete on the court, he needs to be ready to play whatever comes. I think that's that's part of uh, some of the stuff that I believe that are a little bit different. Also, it's it's that what I call common sense. And in our field, I feel <laughs> I feel that we lost a lot of that in some aspects. Like there's a, a new trends, there's new things, and there's sometimes there's a little loss towards common sense and towards the things that have been working for years. Like recently someone came up and like, oh, ice is not good for you anymore because it reduces your recovery from strength. Okay, but what if you use it for your joint, for inflammation, you know, so you don't use ice anymore? And again, some of the athletes that you know, like the, the LeBrons of the world, they still use ice because it makes their body feel good. You know, are they going to stop using ice when they've been using it for 20 years? No. Yeah, I, I think it's also it's so helpful because in a world of more information, we talk about this on the investment side and, and there's a, a famous Nobel laureate, uh, Eugene, Eugene Fama, who is famous for knowing factor investing, right, or, or discovering mm -hmm. it. And he always makes the comment like, just because you want to create more factors doesn't mean it's better. Um, there go. are only yeah. certain ones that actually provide the drivers of return. Um, and, and we see this in this world, right, of the analytics and load management. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's getting so nuanced and precise to like, well, is that truly what's driving the returns? And to your point, you know, sometimes it is the simple thing that is proven over the very long term and it's not going to get the fanfare and it's not going to get these things. But um, a lot of times we're entering, we're, we're introducing more noise and confusion in how we're approaching life and our health than, than sticking with what works sometimes. So we go back to what I was saying regarding the athletes or even the young athletes is trust your instinct, you know, trust your instinct because what was, what was the data analysis? What was the load management? What was the all of all of the above on two things on LeBron James blocking Andre Guadala <laughs> and on Kevin Durant uh, blowing up his Achilles after having rehabbing his, his, his leg? What was the what, what, what were the numbers, you know? Yeah. No. no, I mean, I, I think, I think it's super, super helpful. And I'm not undervaluating them. I, I think it's, they're important in some aspect of it, but they cannot regiment everything. That That's what, what I'm really trying to say. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in that is we want, uh, we want the perfect pill. We want mm -hmm. the perfect formula. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I'm hearing from you is, uh, you still have to work extremely hard. Mm -hmm. uh, life is not a controlled environment. Um, so yep. train as much as you can for the un uh, uncontrolled environment, right? And then also understand the the importance of innovation and adapting. That adaptation, uh, yeah, that's what I was it, say. is really really helpful. And sometimes that's adapting what you're doing, who you're, who is on your team, mm -hmm. but uh, really to have the longevity of the career. And in the health for as long as possible, it's going to take this 
this adaptation and also being very honest with yourself with where you're at. I think being mm-hmm. truth tellers, not only making sure that people around you are telling the truth, but, but you have, um, a given them permission and then B you're, you're speaking truth to yourself about yep. where you're at in your career. And I think also invest, right? I think I keep hearing this, but invest in yourself, right? Fabrice, like this stuff costs money. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not a cost. Uh, just to reiterate, yeah. your I love your an comment that this is an investment and really making sure that you're making that investment. I think as athletes, and I'll throw us in this because you get caught up. It's like everybody should do something for me from a young age. It's you're told to show up mm-hmm. to weights on time and this is provided to you and this and that. At the end of the day, you got to take control of your own your own destiny here, right? And you yeah. got to make those decisions to invest in yourself and the best do. I think we continue to see that, you know, we keep going back to him, but LeBron's famously said he spends what a million bucks a year on his body. Um, You know, everybody, you might not be able to spend a million dollars, but we all can spend something, right? Yeah. And, 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 and you, you can find an inventive way of doing so. You know, some, some of the players, big players, they put their guy on the payroll of the team. You know, they mm-hmm. have ways of, 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 of you know if you're a young a young athlete you can you can find a physical therapist around you and you can go and learn and get mm-hmm. some knowledge you can go on youtube you can go you can go there's so many things yeah. now that are available that you know gonna make it things work and going back to writing off from your taxes you know so if you have a good cpa you should if you're an athlete you should go to a cpa that has been handling athletes before and he should be able to tell you every year you can write off. I don't remember what it was. I think it's hundred thousand. You can write off hundred thousand for equipment, medical equipment for your well-being, for for your health. So you know, you buy yourself a um, hyperbaric chamber. You buy yourself, uh, I don't know, a cold bath. Every and you don't have to buy the full thing. But once you start making a lot of money, you should actually try to maximize your deductions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think find partnerships too. That's the yes. other thing. There are so many people out there that are building companies that would love mm-hmm. for any named athlete to float yeah. in their cold tub potentially, right? Exactly. Yeah. doesn't mean you're going to get it for free, but no. you know, and it goes back, we've talked about this on previous part, uh, podcasts, but also keep in mind what's it mean to be a good partner. And if you're really into this stuff, uh, you know, Noah Syndergaard famously off all, you know, in baseball on Twitter, on, on uh, Instagram, he, he really invests in himself. And so he finds people that he really cares about their product. He provides feedback. He's a good partner to those companies. And mm-hmm. in exchange, you know, there's a, there's a trade off of information and, and he learns a tremendous amount about his body, about himself by going through this process. So yeah. I think there are alternative ways to your point, Fabrice, to go about it uh, at times to get creative. A good, a good example of people assembling good teams also sometimes, or not all the time, but is uh, individual sports. Mm. Tennis, golf, you can see like the team around Djokovic, what he works, what he puts, what he invests, time, money, everything. Uh, dedication to his craft. I mean, you see, I mean, just look at the greats. I mean, again, results. Mm-hmm. The guy has been winning, what, 25 majors? He's doing something <laughs> right. He's doing something right that works for him, that might not work for, for everyone, that, you know, but he's doing, that doesn't, maybe doesn't work exactly the same for Nadal, but those big three 
they've been through their career, they've been doing something right. And try to inspire yourself from that. Try to do your research. Try to try to do your due diligence. If you're in, in a tennis player, or, or even uh, you know, I, I remember with Tony Parker when he, he was already he already won a championship and his shot wasn't good. And the decision to change his shot with Chip Engeland, uh, the player's development coach, came when he saw that Tiger Woods was decided to change his swing. So it's like, if the best golfer in the world is deciding to change his swing, who am I not to give it a try and change my shot? Took, took a summer, about two summers, and then he changed his shot and he became more accurate and he became MVP of the final. I think there, there's so much wisdom there of, of learning from the other athletes in the world. Like you said, especially that individual sport athlete that doesn't have a team that kind of you assume should have all these things to help you is the, the benefit. You can say it's, it's, it's an extra cost that, oh, we don't have a team strength coach or a team nutritionist or X, Y, Z. But it means that individual athletes had to do the due diligence, has had to figure out who do I need on my team to be successful. And they're also far more likely to adapt and innovate season by season. And we've been talking a lot Mm -hmm. internally of, I think, another sport to learn from is the professional fighter, the boxer, the MMA fighter that, you know, they set up their camps. I think one of the things we talk about is a lot of, and I get it, you know, you return in the off season and and you're like, man, I want to be home. But if you watch what these fighters do, they go, who is my opponent? What do I need to win this specific fight? Given the context, I'm going to go seek out who's the best in this situation. They may even physically move for a period of time in there. And so I think there's so much to be learned from looking around and saying, hey, how do I adapt to this and and learn from these other athletes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Fabrice, I I want to be sensitive to to time. You have given us tons of uh, of value and information that I know our athletes uh, are going to love. And so I just want to say thank you so much. Um, I would ask uh, about social media and all those things, but you are a (laughs) word of mouth, like the best kept secret in LA. So uh, athletes, if if you want access to Fabrice, you're going to have to come through us. Um, But truly, thank you so much for spending this time on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Pleasure. Really, thank you very much for having me. And for you, uh, athletes, in all seriousness, if, if you'd love to reach out to Fabrice, let us know. Uh, you'll be able to access the show notes over at athleteceo.com. Once again, athleteceo.com. And until next time, own your wealth, make an impact, and always be a pro. 